Hi everyone and welcome to our first Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast episode of 2021. I'm Andrew Strange, your regular host, and as usual, we're recording this remotely, so please note this might impact the sound quality. We wanted to focus our first episode of the year on a topic that speaks to some of the innovation and forward-looking developments that we're seeing in the financial services sector, and I hope you'll agree that our topic of crypto assets fits that bill perfectly. I've got two fantastic guests here today who are going to bring some really interesting and different perspectives on the subject. Henry Aslayan, PwC's global crypto leader who's based in Hong Kong, and Sharon Marie Fernando, a senior manager from our legal practice here in the UK. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So, Henry, as our global crypto leader for PwC, why should firms be thinking about this issue today when clearly there's so many other things to contend with on their agendas? Well, absolutely, Andrew. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me and thanks for your listeners. I know you have a choice to what to listen to. So thanks for uh, tuning in on the, on the podcast and allowing us to share our passion for the future of money. As you mentioned, Andrew, this is obviously a big topic. Everybody now is talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And, and the reason is this is actually probably the most exciting time in the recent history of money. Uh, when you look at the evolution of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin was created 12 years ago and really has evolved significantly over the last couple of years. I mean, we're seeing some big trends right now. The first, I guess, very relevant to our listeners is the entry of institutional players. A couple of years ago, really, the crypto industry was led by a lot of startups, you know, guys with a, with a T-shirt in a basement in a garage. Right now, really big drivers in the crypto industry are the large financial institutions uh, and, and some of the large asset managers as well. Over the last couple of months, we saw some of the large hedge funds enter the space, embrace Bitcoin. And this is a trend we expect to see in 2021 as well. And this is being driven by increased regulatory clarity, increased presence of reg regulated counterparties, and just a broader awareness about the asset class as well. And one thing as well, for a lot of our financial institutional clients are listening, there's also we're seeing a lot of demand from retail customers as well. Uh, for example, right now, uh, just to give, put things in perspective, only five years ago, you only had 5 million clients with an account at a crypto exchange. Last month, according to Cambridge University, you have over 100 million people with accounts at a crypto exchange. So we're really seeing more and more uh, adoption and interest from retail customers. And a good example of this is even uh, last, uh, before the holidays, uh, we had uh, a PayPal make it basically available to all its US customers. 280 million customers now can buy Bitcoin out of their PayPal app. And in 2021, this will be rolled out globally as well uh, to over 250 million clients. So it really is becoming easier and, and uh, for anybody to access it. So really big, the large entry of institutional players for those in the financial institutions and servicing the broader uh, uh, institutional market. And as well, a lot of interest and activity on the retail side as well. So really the future of money may be closer than we think. Fascinating. Thank you, Henry. Uh, the, the, the image of people coding in their garages sort of takes me back to, to the origin of something like Facebook, where actually we, we can't believe that Facebook started out also with a few people working in a back office doing some coding. So I think there's uh, some really big, huge developments here, clearly. But Sharon, with my kind of parochial UK view, this sounds like a bit of a regulatory minefield or, or perhaps an opportunity. Where are we in terms of regulation in the UK market? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, well, at this point in time, it's a bit of both. There are huge opportunities in relation to crypto assets, but there are also some concerns as well. So at this moment, uh, crypto assets as an asset class in their own right are unregulated. They are regulated um, in the sense that where they fall within the scope of a security, e-money 
or within the scope of the MIFID II financial investments where a reference is made to a crypto asset, say in a derivative, or where a collective investment scheme is created, then there would be um, an issue in terms of crypto assets being within the scope of the UK regulatory perimeter. Uh, but there is a lack of clarity around how crypto assets are treated. And there's been some moves towards creating some clarity in the space. Um, that's been driven by increased regulatory focus. And there's been a number of UK developments in the legal space in terms of uh, what's been going on from the regulatory point of view and also from a consumer protection and financial crime point of view. So just to mention a couple of items, um, there was the recent creation of the Crypto Asset Task Force um, that happened in 2018 and a report was released from the Crypto Asset Task Force which sets out uh, a review of the UK market and the threats and opportunities that crypto assets provide. And we've also had very much welcome perimeter guidance from the FCA uh, by way of a consultation paper and policy statement on the regulatory treatment of crypto assets. Um, and in terms of developments from a consumer protection and financial crime point of view, there has been, unfortunately, the banning of derivative sales to retail clients. Um, so the FCA has taken action to prevent the marketing of crypto assets to retail customers as well due to their volatility. And also, there's been warnings from the regulator as well, just due to the nature of the investment, um, because they promise high returns. And obviously, there's a volatility element to them as well. It sounds like there's an awful lot of changes there, potentially, to the regulatory perimeter. And certainly, I know we've had to deal with that in terms of onshoring legislation and Treasury and PRA and FCA all proposing different rules and approaches to certain regulatory topics. But there has been another significant development I think from Treasury this month where they, they've called for evidence on the regulatory approach to crypto assets and stable coins which includes the introduction of a regulatory regime for stable tokens. Sharon do you want to just take us through the key implications of the paper for stable tokens first? Yes of course so um, that's right the uh, UK Treasury has released a consultation on um, the treatment of crypto assets, but they're taking a phased approach to that. And as part of the first phase, they've been focusing on stable coins. So the intention is to create a new category of token, which would be regulated effectively. And that would be called a stable token. So any activities that are to be performed with stable tokens will be UK regulated activities. So that could comprise issuing stable tokens, executing transactions in them. And um, as Treasury has noted, that could even include actively marketing them in the UK. So that's a real interesting development. Um, systemic stable token payment systems are also likely to become subject to payment services regulation according to the consultation paper that was released. Yeah, and I think that it's that kind of hodgepodge of different regulatory things tackling different different sort of tokens or, or, or different approaches that I think is quite a challenge. Beyond stable tokens, Treasury proposes that other types of crypto assets, such as Bitcoin and other exchange tokens, will be outside the regulatory perimeter, at least in the short term. The government plans to consider the case for bringing more crypto asset market actors within the regulatory perimeter at a later stage. Can you tell us a bit more about that and what the impact could be? Yes, of course. So um, as I mentioned, um, their Treasury is taking a phased approach to looking at the regulatory uh, position of various crypto assets. So obviously, as I mentioned, 
stable stable coins, stable tokens are within the first phase. But um, the Treasury will be considering the regulatory status of other crypto assets in due course as part of that phased approach. Um, it's really interesting because decentralized finance and distributed ledger technology has been noted to remain outside the scope of UK regulation. And, and my view is that I think eventually the UK regime will be likely to mirror that of the EU's proposed markets and crypto assets regulation, which basically seeks to apply common standards and authorization requirements for crypto asset issuers and service providers. So um, there is some direction of travel there. I mean, uh, first of all, stable coins will be kind of in focus, but there is that review ongoing review of crypto assets and you know whether or not they need to be bought into the regulatory perimeter in the uk thanks sharon that's a, that's a really helpful view of sort of the uk government and uk regulatory thinking on this so turning to henry i mean henry what are your reflections on on the regulatory architecture that we're seeing and hearing from the uk and how does it sit in in that kind of wider context of approaches you're seeing from other countries or even at a global level is the UK leading the way here? Is there something the UK needs to be able to learn from? Absolutely, Andrew. I think there's a lot of action going on right now globally, right? So let me just give you an example on the regulatory perspective. Today, uh, you know, again, according to Cambridge University, only 5% of regulators do not have somebody working on crypto. Again, and I would say that overwhelmingly, the vast majority of financial centers have now reasonably well, uh, let's say, reasonable uh, crypto uh, regulations in place. Uh, and also that, by the way, the one area I'm focusing for next year is actually tax clarity. While we have regulatory clarity, we also need tax clarity as well if you want institutional investors uh, to come in. But I think some of these elements that are, are very, very important. I mean, we just mentioned stable coins. I mean, just to give an example, in 2020, well, in, a year ago, there was only $5 billion in stable coins assets. Uh, in December, it was $25 billion. And actually, if I look in the crystal ball for 2021, I expect to see a really big uh, rise in the usage of stable coins. And you may say, what is what is the goal of that? What is the point of a stable coin? Maybe for our listeners, you know, a Bitcoin is digital currency. Its price is determined by offer and demand. When you look at a uh, stable coin, it's a digital currency that is backed one to one by fiat currency, U.S. dollar, GBP, uh, or, or Japanese yen, or whatever. And that allows you actually to make cross-border payments. Uh, whether 24-7, instantaneously, and at no fees. And that has a big impact for not only uh, retail, the, the retail public, but also institutional players as well. Today, the average fee, Andrew, of a global cross-border payment is 7%. The average in many emerging markets is double-digit just to send money from one part of the other. And this is why we're seeing stable coins be a big focus, especially since the announcement of, of Libra uh, in, in June 2019 uh, that was now renamed to DM. Uh, and this is actually going to be one of the big areas to, to watch in 2021 as stable coins become a big area of focus. And I really hope that's going to help us when it comes to cross-border payments and really helping people. Uh, when it comes to where the UK is positioned on that, I have to say that uh, globally right now, it's a, this kind of a regulatory race uh, for uh, two years ago was a lot of the smaller jurisdictions came out with regulatory clarity. And now what we're seeing in 2020 and 2021 is some of the established jurisdictions are coming up with pretty good regulatory clarity on digital assets, not only Bitcoin, not only stable coins, but the entire ecosystem. Places like Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Switzerland, uh, and even the United States. Uh, I have to say the last couple of months uh, we've seen towards the end of 2020, 
uh, really pretty interesting regulatory clarity coming out from the US, which tends to be laggard before, beforehand. So I think from a UK perspective, it's very important uh, for the FCA, for the broader authorities to provide regulatory clarity. I always say half jokingly that the crypto industry is probably the only industry of the financial services that actively lobbies for more regulations because everybody wants just the clarity and then the ecosystem can build on top of it. So again, I think I'm very bullish in 2021 on the crypto industry. One of the reasons is because it's more regulatory clarity. And unlike other traditional industries, uh, I think uh, countries need to come up with proper clarity on it. If not, uh, we're seeing a lot of the, there's a lot of uh, the movement that can happen in the ecosystem, uh, you know, in search of clarity on this area. Yeah, thank you, Henry. I mean, uh, loads of reflections on that. You're right. Anything with a 7% fee strikes me as an industry that, that that's ripe for, for disruption from the outside. Uh, and you're quite right. I think particularly when I think about some of the slightly more conservative approaches we've taken in the UK to, to things, sometimes that regulatory clarity is great for firms, but also it can offer a legitimacy to, to, to uh, services and products too, which is really helpful from a, a consumer perspective. Um, so it was great to hear about sort of where policymakers are at overall, but let's turn now slightly more to actual financial services firms, perhaps even some of the incumbent firms that, that we're, we're all used to dealing with as our clients on a daily basis. What, what do we perceive the risks and the challenges are, as well as the opportunities? Uh, Henry, perhaps I could start with you and you maybe give a view on sort of fintechs and firms from outside the UK. And then Sharon, I'll come to you from a, a perspective on perhaps more established UK based firms. Henry? Sure, of course. I mean, maybe let me talk about the broader, some of the, the, the native firms, and then I can talk about financial institutions. When you look about the crypto industry, unlike a couple of years ago, now there are numerous regulated, uh, you know, uh, fintech or crypto firms, many of them making hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue a year and that are regulated. They have all the certifications, the SOC 1, the SOC 2s, the big four audits that actually a lot of uh, regulated counterparties uh, would need to deal with. So that's already happening right now out there. There's a big market. Uh, the big area that I'm watching right now is really what's going to happen with financial institutions. In 2020, we saw numerous large financial institutions from the standard charters to JP Morgan's. Uh, to the DBS in Asia, who have made their plans public, their crypto plans public of how they want to service this industry. And I expect in 2021, we're going to see many, many other uh, financial institutions uh, enter the space. Uh, frankly, they're not doing this out of pure love and uh, because they have nothing else to do, but because it's a revenue opportunity. You know, uh, this is a new industry. There's a lot of uh, greenfield opportunity. It brings uh, 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 new top line growth in an area that, that is expected to generate a lot of growth over the next couple of years. So it's strategically, many we're seeing many financial institutions uh, enter the space. And the drivers behind is very clear is because there's more and more regulatory clarity today and there's a lot of regulated institutions. And to be fair, there's a lot of demand from the end clients. Uh, over the last couple of months, we saw some of the large uh, hedge funds, for example, the Paul Tudor Jones uh, to the Guggenheims of this world who made their plans public in crypto. And obviously these are, all these firms are clients of the traditional financial institutions. So obviously as a financial institution, you need to service your clients. And this is why I expect to see a lot more activity uh, from uh, the large uh, big banks in the space. Uh, and the one way they may do this is actually by M&A. So uh, for any financial institutions is a typical, you know, you buy or you build a, a typical management consulting approach. Uh, I think many financial institutions right now we're seeing are uh, making some of their plans public on how they want to build these solutions. We've seen it with DBS. Uh, we've seen it with some of the partnership with Standard Charter. But I think one thing you'll see in 2021 and 2022 over the next 24 months is increasing amount of M&A in the sector. Uh, 2019 was a rec uh, 2020 was a record year when it comes to crypto M&A. I mean, just to give you an example, only in the first six months of the year, 
uh, we surpassed the records of 20, 2019, uh, and the average deal size went from less than $20 million to over $45 million. And I really expect 2021, we're going to see a wave of M&A. I wouldn't be surprised, many of them driven by large financial institutions who are trying to enter the space by way of acquisitions or, or a minority or ma majority investments in existing crypto firms. Thanks, Henry. And Sharon, so aside from M&A, from a UK perspective, what, what, what are you going to be, think we'll be seeing? Okay, well, it's great. Henry's mentioned a lot of the opportunities that would obviously apply to UK firms as well. But as Henry also mentioned, where there is kind of the opportunity that's driven by regulatory certainty, we don't yet fully have that in the UK. As you know, the Treasury is consulting on um, the development of the regulatory regime for crypto assets. So that's one thing to bear in mind. Another point is that as crypto assets aren't a huge asset class at the moment in the UK, a lot of financial services firms don't really have that level of systemic risk that they would have um, because obviously they're less exposed to crypto assets and due to their volatility that could obviously then cause some issues in terms of financial stability. Um, we don't have that as an issue at the moment but that's something to keep an eye on as the asset class continues to grow and interest in crypto assets continues to grow. Um, obviously there are market integrity and financial crime risks, which are kind of well discussed and, uh, and which regulators are keeping an eye on. That's also something that's potentially um, something for firms to, to worry about. But as Henry's mentioned, there's some amazing opportunities as well for UK firms. So one of the things um, that I particularly picked out was in relation to transactions, they could be made much faster and cheaper. Um, there's a whole lot of new business models that can be driven off the back of crypto assets. Um, and also um, the ability to just tokenize anything of value and, and create a whole asset class based on that. So the possibilities are basically endless. Thanks, Sharon. So beyond 2021, clearly this market's going to, to continue to develop. What, what do we see in longer term as the biggest issues that regulators will need to be mindful of as this market continues to grow? Um, Henry, what, what's your view on that, please? Well, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's obviously this area moves very, very fast, right? I always tell half jokingly that anybody tells you they're a crypto expert, you got to run away. You know, I spent 24 seven of my time in this space and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen one month from now because things move very, very fast. I mean, just to give an example, uh, crypto markets don't sleep. It's a 24 seven market. So if on Thursday night, Friday night, you want to go to the pub, have a good time, spend your weekend with your kids, relaxing, you should not be getting into crypto. This market is generally 24 seven and is generally global. So there's a lot of these, I think, the, the realities of this market that are actually quite fast-paced. However, there's a lot of exciting things coming up over the next couple of months and years. I mean, one thing, if I, if, as, as regulators, we're seeing increasing level of clarity. We're also seeing more enforcement in this space, which is very welcome. Again, the crypto industry is one of the few industries that actively encourages regulators to crack down on the bad apples that tend to give, uh, the, tend to give the industry a, a bad name. But there's a couple of things that I'm really watching for the, for the months to, uh, ahead, a part of the stable coins, a part of the entry of institutional players. Uh, one area I'm very, very bullish right now is central bank digital currencies. These, again, so Bitcoin is fully decentralized. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can control it. Stable coins are often issued by private enterprises, whether they're large technology firms or uh, other uh, regulated institutions. Uh, the big area I'm watching right now are central bank digital currencies, crypto digital assets issued by a central bank. 
And this today, I mean, there's really, as for your listeners uh, may know, there's really two kinds of central bank money. One of them is, is a bank note, like five pound note that you hold in your wallet. That is a liability on, on, the, on the Bank of England. And the second uh, type of uh, central bank money are the reserves that your lovely bank holds at the central bank. The money that you hold in your bank account is not central bank money. And actually, our generation, everybody listen to this podcast, uh, we're probably going to be the lucky generation who's going to see a third form of central bank money, a central bank digital currency. That is kind of a digital banknote. And that's super exciting. There's a lot of work going on right now. The FCA earlier in the, uh, the first quarter of 2020 issued its consultation. As was mentioned before, there's a lot of work going on in this space. Uh, but really, when you look at this, this is a space that's moving extremely fast. COVID, one of the good things of COVID is it really catalyzed a change going on on the future of money with, with central bank digital currencies. And this on, on this topic, all eyes are on China. China is, without any doubt, years ahead of any other country. The People's Bank of China has been researching this topic since 2014. And right now, just to put things in perspective, there's over 2 billion RMB, that's 300 million US dollars of transactions in the new digital, digital currency have taken place. There's over 12,000 use cases, 12,000 that have been done. And even, even uh, in, the, in the mid-January, there was uh, a lottery done by the Shenzhen, which is the, the Silicon Valley of China, giving actually digital currency to the public to experiment with it. So when it comes to the future of money, this is taking place as we speak. And that for any financial institution, you need to keep an eye on because while there's a lot of opportunities, especially for the public that's going to give them access to a third form of central bank money, there's also risks. One risk, for example, is the risk of a bank run. If today I do not trust, trust banks anymore, I don't trust the banking system anymore, I can go to an ATM, a cash machine, it would draw all my banknotes as much as I can. But then, of course, there's physical limitations to how much cash I can withdraw and how, how I can store it safely. With a digital currency, I basically am able to actually withdraw as much money as I want in my wallet, in, in digital, my digital wallet, in a matter of seconds. So this obviously brings a lot of risk on, on acceleration, of a, acceleration of a bank run. Also puts risk on, on the profit, profitability of traditional banks. Today, when I deposit money at my lovely bank, the bank is able to literally create money. They're able to actually lend it out. And what, what happens behind the scenes is money creation, which is something if more and more people are holding their money in digital currencies in their digital wallets, uh, that actually increases the funding risk of banks, it may reduce their profitability, and may reduce the revenue. So there's a lot of these big considerations, and this is why you're seeing now the Bank for International Settlements, the Club of Central Banks, if you want, and many central banks, including the FCA, look at this topic very, very closely, because yes, there's a lot of benefits for the public, uh, but there are potentially a lot of downsides for the traditional financial institutions, and this is something the central banks are very, very, very conscious of and are look, trying to look at the whole holistic impact on the ecosystem. Amazing, Henry. Thank you. So aside from not having children and central bank digital currencies and potential runs on banks, Sharon, is there anything you want to add from a UK perspective to that? Yeah, sure. So um, there's obviously a balancing act in terms of risks versus opportunities. And that is obviously a consideration from a UK regulatory point of view. Um, obviously, there's concerns about um, investor protection and investor understanding of crypto assets, um, the level of volatility that they present and whether or not they are suitable for kind of the average investor in the UK. But that's not to kind of go without mentioning the opportunities that crypto assets bring. I mean, Henry and I have both talked about that. Um, a little earlier on in this podcast. So just the kind of speed and efficiency of being able to deal in transactions with crypto assets, you know, it really 
pushes traditional financial services firms to up their game as well because of the increased competition that crypto assets bring into the regulatory perimeter and the service providers for those crypto assets will bring into the regulatory perimeter. And also there's that huge pool of investment opportunities that's created as well. So much, much greater than any of the other investment types than we've traditionally seen in the past. And that's a really exciting prospect. Yeah, if I may add, actually, Sharon, to what you mentioned, I think it's a very, from an excitement perspective, you know, especially for the listeners of this podcast, Andrew, I understand many are in the regulatory space. This presents a lot of opportunities. You know, the advice I give, uh, I wear many hats. One of them is a, is a drug professor at the University of Hong Kong where I teach this topic. And I tell for a lot of the, the young young folks, the young people listening to this podcast, the ones that are just an analyst at a bank, they are the, you know, doing, doing their training contract at a law firm or just as a junior person in a financial institution, they gives you a lot of opportunities personally as a career, uh, from a career perspective. This space will happen, this space will grow and gives you a lot of opportunities to be that key person within your organization. For those with regulatory backgrounds, for example, this is a space that has tremendous opportunities right now. It's new. But again, as long as you're happy to step outside your comfort zone, you're happy to address new legal and regulatory considerations and, and issues, it provides a lot of opportunities uh, uh, in, in that space. And also, I think personally, you know, what I tell everybody is that uh, you may you may believe, uh, you may like Bitcoin, you may hate it, you may love digital assets, you may hate it. But I think we all have this intellectual duty to at least try to understand it. And this one, especially in a lockdown environment, the one advice I give to everybody is instead of watching Netflix, instead of watching Amazon, I love The Queen. I think it's a great show. But I think instead of wasting time on watching these things, if you spend an hour a week just on watching some of the educational content on the future of money. Today, there's tons of videos. There's tons of uh, free content that is available on the future of money. And just think about what is the impact this can have on your personally, but also on your career. I think the next decade we're going to see, I call the roaring 20s again, will come or for people involved in regulatory, people involved in the money on finance on this particular area will provide a lot of, lot of opportunities. For those who are ready, I think it would be great. But unfortunately, there'll be some winners and losers. And I think that I, I hope uh, for some of your listeners who had to listen to this podcast, this may be kind of a tilt to go actually spend some time, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just reading about it and try to understand these, this, uh, this space a bit, a bit more. Brilliant. Henry, thank you so much. Sharon, thank you too. Uh, I think on the, the Roaring Twenties note, I will end it there. It's been a, a really fascinating discussion. Uh, it's been great to hear about the innovation, the speed of change in the market, and just the, the, the breadth of issues that firms are having to face. To our listeners, I hope you've also found this episode really helpful. Please do share this podcast and subscribe to future episodes, and I'll be back with our next episode next month. Thank you. Thank you.